Um, I'm as brightly dressed as I can be. I was trying to figure out what should I wear this morning. And uh, on my dad's side, it's British, which is very boring, stiff upper lip. I almost wore a suit with a tie, uh, but it's too hot. Um, on my mom's side, my gran is Scottish. I actually have a tie with the, with the tartan of our clan. Um, and on my, my grandfather's side, somewhere a few generations back, there's French. I married a French woman, but her mom grew up in Paris. Candace's dad was born in China, but he's actually Belgian. Like, it was too complicated. So I just wore the brightest thing that I could. Uh, and so thank you for all of those who dressed up. It's really cool to see all the colors uh, and all the effort that we put in. Um, these days, it's very easy to see life however we want to see it. Uh, we can put all kinds of filters on the photographs we take. You know, we can Photoshop the background out. If, you're, uh, if you've unfriended someone, you can just delete them from the photo. It's amazing what technology can do. We pick and choose the news stories that we want to read. And we only listen to those voices that agree with us. And what happens when we do that, we actually distort our view of the world. We start viewing the world as we want to view it, not how it actually is. And you know what the scary thing is? The same can happen with how we see God. How we see God, how we perceive God can be reshaped. It can be distorted because of what we want God to be like. We want God to be nice and manageable. Hey, we want to put God in a box. He mustn't get out too often because it messes up our lives when he does. We want a genie in a bottle and we can rub it when we need it. We want God to be how we want God to be. But actually, Jesus came and taught us all about God. He says, I am the representation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Came to teach us about God's plan for our lives. And often, it doesn't sound like what we want to hear. And hence the name of this series, what, or the things that Jesus never said. We're aiming in this series to kind of cut through the rubbish of what the world says, all the noise of the world's perceptions of what it means to follow Jesus uh, and to be one of his disciples. And I think it might surprise some of us. Often, to, to really understand Jesus' words, we don't just look at what he said, but the things he didn't say. All the things he could have said, all the things that I think if I was God, what I would have said in the Bible. <laughs> it's a good thing that I'm not God, let's just put it like that. But, but sometimes looking at what he didn't say helps us really emphasize and focus on the power of the things he did say. And so today I want to look at the things that Jesus never said about forgiveness. Let's kick it off like this. I need everyone to participate do you all know how to put up your hand? Quickly put up your hand. Let's see if your hand's working. Everyone hand in the air. Good. Well done. Okay. Put it down. <laughs> Elbow up the side. Who knows? You've got to do nicest participate. Who knows someone that posts really annoying things on Facebook? Like it's inappropriate. It's awkward. Okay. Just keep your hands up. If you know someone, uh, Brian's got both hands up. I'm, <laughs> I'm worried. Okay. If your hand's not up, Keep your hands up if you know someone who posts annoying things on Facebook. If your hand's not up, maybe you that person posting annoying things. <laughs> just Maybe just saying, you know, use it, don't use it. 
let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. He didn't hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they post. <laughs> he never said that. He never said that. He never said, fool me once, I'll forgive you. Fool me twice, I'll, your car's going to get a flat tire, your washing machine's going to break, you'll run out of medical aid by June. Jesus never said that. Often we think, oh, why are these bad things happening? Uh, God hasn't forgiven me. God's angry at me. No, <laughs> Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, well, sorry, uh, I can't forgive you. You've messed up too much. All the other people, they're fine, but you, know, you get on my nerves a lot, so I can't forgive you. He never said that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We can look at this topic. Matthew chapter 6 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Jesus talking to his disciples, the Christians, the believers, his followers who already knew a bit about him. And it was the kingdom manifesto. How should these new kingdom of believers live? So it's written and preached to Christians. It's, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on prayer. And at the end of his teaching on prayer, there's like a PS, a postscript all about forgiveness. And we're going to camp there for a moment. Let's read Matthew chapter 6 from verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, everyone say our Father. Good, in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pause there. Jesus doesn't say next, he doesn't say, forgive us our debts, even though we're holding grudges. Like you won't find that in the Bible. He doesn't say, well, I'll forgive you, but you're welcome to keep things against other people. He doesn't say that. Verse 12 says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Sure. Verse 13 is about the power and the glory in the kingdom. Verse 14, this is the PS at the end of the teaching on prayer. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And just so there's no doubt, he repeats it. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Yo, that's in the Bible. Some of us would like to kind of cut it out and like just hoi that part away. <laughs> there have been a few times where I've been hurt by others. One occasion, I'm not going to tell you the details, one occasion it was by another pastor in another church. And he had said some things while I was with him, and that really upset me, really hurt me. And I don't see this guy very often. In fact, I hardly see him in a year. And so like a guy, you know how guys just put things in boxes and ignore them. <laughs> I did that. Put the lid on it. It was unlabeled box. It stuck it somewhere in my mind, and uh, I carried on as normal. And, I, and years later, must have been three years later, I went down to Cornerstone Church for an equip, just like we're going in a, in a week and a half's time. And uh, there was a great sermon. I forget who was preaching. And there was ministry. They said, if you want to be prayed for, come forward. And so God had touched my heart. I came forward to be prayed for. And uh, guess who should pray for me? But that guy. <laughs> I'm standing there trying to receive prayer. Oh, and I'm like recalling what had happened years ago. And I was like upset. And I was shaking, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was my anger. <laughs> 
It was so hard to receive prayer. And I realized afterwards, Glenn, you're still holding a grudge. <laughs> Years later, I still had something against this guy. And uh, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Maybe some of you are going to have a similar experience this morning. You came to church, everything's feeling fine, but you might, as we go through this morning, realize, actually, I still hold a grudge against someone else. I still haven't forgiven them properly for that thing that, that they did. Maybe you've got a grievance against someone. They wronged you. They hurt you. They disappointed you. They let you down. I don't know. It might come up this morning. And this topic of forgiveness, it really creates a lot of emotions. Jesus, I'll just repeat those words in verse 14 and 15. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What Jesus is not saying is that this is about our salvation. He's not saying, if you forgive others, you can have eternal life. If you forgive others, you are justified or you're born again. That's not what he's saying, all right? Because if he was saying that, then it's up to me, my ability, my effort. I can earn my salvation by forgiving others. The Bible never teaches that we are born again or we saved by what we do, but about grace and about our faith in Jesus. And so he's not saying, if you don't forgive that person, Glendon, you're not going to get into heaven. It's not what he's saying. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the it's the subjective experience that the person that I have wronged doesn't hold anything against me. Say it again. Forgiveness is the experience. It's not just a concept. It's an experience that the person I have wronged doesn't hold anything against me. Think of that in terms of our relationship with God. Being, when we forgive other people when they've sinned against us, that means we get to experience God's forgiveness towards us. In other words, the fact that we've all sinned and all fallen short, and of, short of God's glory, we get to experience that God's not upset with us despite us sinning. We get to experience God's pleasure and favor. Wow. But if we're holding a grudge, Jesus says, you won't feel like forgiven. You might be born again. You might be going to heaven, but, but you don't feel that pleasure that God is okay with you, even though you've messed up. You, you might say, well, Glendon, you don't know what someone did to me. You never had what I had growing up. Maybe a best friend lied to you. Maybe they lied about you. Maybe someone that you loved or admired, maybe even a, a Christian hero, they let you down. They didn't live up to what you hoped that they would live up to. Maybe there's someone who didn't pay you money <laughs> and they've left, they promised it to you, but they've left you in a difficult financial situation. Maybe someone broke a promise to you. Maybe someone took advantage of you and used you for their benefit. Maybe there was someone who should have protected you should have loved you, but instead they hurt you. Maybe there's some people here who you've been the victim of abuse, verbal abuse or physical abuse, emotional abuse or even sexual abuse. You might say, well, it's not fair what happened to me. And, and I agree. I want to take a moment to acknowledge that there are some 
horrible wrongs in the world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. Sometimes we skip over it. I want to acknowledge that there's hurt, there's pain. What someone did to you might have been unfair, might have been completely reprehensible. We can't skip over those things. Might have been brutal even. For some people, there's even another level of pain. You know, when someone hurts you, you're injured, you're hurt. You might have an offense. That's personal against you. But sometimes when, when someone hurts or abuses someone you love, there's even like another level of pain. In our family, in, in my extended family years ago, we had more than one person sexually abused in our family. And I can't tell you how horrible it is, how horrific, how painful, how crippling it is for those people having to work through that from someone they loved, someone they respected, someone they looked up to. And how do you forgive someone when something so brutal has happened? How do you forgive them? How do you live out what Jesus told us to do? It might seem unforgivable, but but Jesus is saying you to forgive. How do we do it? One of the clues is in how Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. He's not just my Father, He's our Father. He's not just your Father, we, we share Him. He's our Father collectively, right? That means we're all His children. If you've got faith in Jesus, if you've put your trust in Him, if you are a new creation, actually we're all God's children. He's our Father together, we share Him. And because He's our Father and we're His children, first point this morning, our relationship with all of our siblings under God matters to Him. And this totally makes sense to me as a dad. I've got three kids, nine and nearly eight and nearly four. And if I just look back at the last two weeks, there are some amazing moments where my kids have played together so well. Couple hours, there's peace, there's happy laughter, there's all these creative games they're playing with the toys. Like, it's just amazing. I'm like, wow, my, it's so lovely when the kids get on. It really is. Those who've got more than one kid will know this for sure. There've also been moments where there's been intense fighting, name calling, anger, door slamming, toy throwing, you name it. It's happened in the house. And it's the most horrible thing when your kids don't get along, when they're fighting. You don't just let them fight. You step in immediately to try and bring peace again because peace is better than chaos. Our heavenly father feels the same way when he looks at all of his children on planet earth. Nothing makes him more sad than when his children are fighting. Nothing makes him happier than when we're living together in unity. Why? Because he pours out the blessing, Psalm 133 says. So our relationship with all of our other siblings under God, it matters to God. And maybe this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, our heavenly Father saying, don't come and worship me. If 
you're fighting with your siblings. Rather go and make rights, then come back and worship and exalt me. That's how much it matters to God. It's a big deal to Him. Think about this. Who does, who gets hurt by unforgiveness? If, if God's our Father, and if His kids are fighting, there's unforgiveness, they haven't resolved stuff, there's grudges and remembering the past and how you never shared the toy with me. God as our Father's heart is pained when we don't resolve things. Why? Because He's our Heavenly Father. Who else? The person who's not doing the forgiving, the person who's got the hurt, the grievance, they are hurt. Remember someone saying, holding a grudge, having bitterness or anger against someone for what they've done, not forgiving them, it's like me drinking poison and hoping they're going to die. <laughs> like it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. And so what happens when we, we have these injuries, these wounds, when we don't forgive, it's like poison infects them and they just start to spread like gangrene all throughout our life. And throughout the day, you'll find yourself thinking about that person and seething in anger like I've done. They don't even know that you're thinking about them. But you've got this grudge and you playing over in your mind and playing over how you want to tell them what to do and give them a piece of your mind. Hey, don't we play it over and over and over? <laughs> Another kind of metaphor or picture is if we hold this unforgiveness. It's like a jail, like all these bars go up and we're in a prison of unforgiveness, someone said. Like we're trapped, we're in bondage, we're not free. Second point this morning, forgiveness is the key that sets us free from the prison of offense. Being offended, being upset, holding these grudges, it puts us in a prison, it constricts us, it confines us. Why? Because when we're not forgiving others, we don't experience the forgiveness of God. We're in a prison. We, we held back. Forgiveness is that key that opens that door. I can remember in 2017, 2018, the house that we were living in, we wanted to do some renovations and expand. We, we bought a really small house in 2012, and so we knew at some point we needed to make it a bit bigger. And so we drew up plans, and a friend of ours who's a Christian, and he was in another church on the other side of town, we'd known him from um, uh, Peter Maritzburg days, he used to have his own construction company, and it didn't work out, and he joined a big, a really big other company, he was an employee there, and uh, he'd always wanted to go back and restart his own construction company. And so he spoke to us, and we spoke about plans, we wanted to use uh, the company he was working for, and he said, actually, I'm wanting to start up again my own construction company. I want to do it on the side, build it up slowly, and then I can leave the corporate and, you know, be my own boss. And we thought, that's great. He's like, you could be one of my first projects. Yes. And he's like, well, because you're the first project, I'll give you a good deal and all this kind of stuff. And so we, we launched into, very naively, this building project at home. And we were going to do it in two phases. Phase one, we were going to do some kind of interior renovations and replace the sheeting on our existing roof. Phase two, which was a bit bigger, a bit more expensive, we were going to add onto the house and build a flat at the back. Towards the end of phase one, things stopped working out between us and this guy, who's a believer, who's, who was a friend. 
He couldn't finish phase one. Now, we had prepaid all of phase one and part of phase two, which he was unable to do anything on. So we had to then go and find new builders for phase two with less budget because we'd already paid in advance and he wasn't going to give us the credit. He couldn't pay us back. Candice ended up project managing the whole of phase two. It was highly stressful. And for months while we're building phase two, we were like, seething, steaming on this thing, stewing on how we'd be wrong. For months after we finished even, we're like, oh, is he going to pay us back? Should I get in hold of him? Should I like contact his pastor? Like all these questions, you know? And eventually we've, we've, he still owes us money. We've had to forgive him. Though he still owes us money. But it's hard, this thing of forgiving, because you're wronged. It hasn't worked out like you want it. It's not easy to forgive other people. What do we do when we're overwhelmed with hurt or anger or frustration or pain? How do you let things go? This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It's the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching a little bit earlier. He says, You've all heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, Jesus is saying, what everyone says around you, love your neighbor, you know, love the nice people and hate the horrible people. That's the culture of the time. It was a justice culture, very much like we have today. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. If I've been wronged, I'm going to wrong you back. That's the culture that we have and that Jesus was speaking into. And so he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, he completely flips it around, and pray for those who persecute you. Yo, (laughs) pray for the guy who owes you money. You know what prayer I'll pray? Lord Jesus, (laughs) smite him (laughs) in the language of the King James Version. Smite him on the jaw. I'll pray for him, no problem, Lord. (laughs) What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you're offended? What do you do when you hurt? What do you do when someone's abused you? Pray for them, Jesus says. Do you know why? Because third point, prayer is the catalyst of forgiveness. Well, Glendon, I don't feel like praying. Actually, I'd like to stew in my pain. In fact, I like self-pity. Oh, it makes me feel good. I can just be there and think of all the things I want to do to this guy, and I can just be unhappy, and you find other people who are unhappy like you, and you have a little pity club. (laughs) You're laughing because you've all been there. I've been there. We like to stew in our sin, don't we? (laughs) Makes us feel good. To blame someone else, we're a blame culture, aren't we? It's not my fault, no, it's they, they owe me money, they did that thing. But actually, we don't feel like praying, do we? Jesus said we should pray, we actually, we kind of know maybe it's the right thing to do, but we don't feel like praying. Can I suggest, that when it comes to moments like these, and we all have them, and we all will have more of them, it's about action before attitude, In other words, we pray even though we don't feel like praying. And our prayers start off like this, Lord, smite him. (laughs) Instead of praying, Lord, do something in him, we pray, Lord, do something to him. (laughs) 
You've all prayed it. Don't, don't laugh. I'm just telling you what goes on in my prayer life. <laughs> That's the great thing about being a preacher. We don't have to look at other people for examples. I'm just as human as the rest of you. If you ever think I'm using you as an example in my preach, I'm actually using me. So don't, don't, don't feel like that. Um, but when we start praying, as we start praying, we, our, heart, our hearts start to soften. And we do genuinely start to pray, Lord, do something in him. Lord, change his heart. Lord, let him find forgiveness in you. Lord, let her come to know you personally and have an encounter with Jesus. Let her find this life. One thing about praying for those who've hurt you, your prayer might or it might not change them, but it ends up changing you. <laughs> we end up being changed as we pray. Why? Because God, God starts working in our hearts when that happens. So when we don't feel like praying, we action and our attitude, our heart seems to follow on in due course if we keep praying. And God's so good, He doesn't answer those prayers, Lord, smite Him. <laughs> He knows what will come as our hearts start changing. But praying is a God-honoring way to start. And as, we, as God starts to work in our heart, we start to realize, actually, look how much I've been forgiven. Wow. And we're able to then offer, with God's help, forgiveness to this person. Prayer is the starting point. Prayer is the catalyst. Prayer gets that process going of being able to, with God's help, forgive them for what they've done. What I love about this word, uh, forgive, in the Greek language, it literally means to hurl it away, to 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 it back, to, uh, what's the Zulu equivalent, I don't know, but to, heritage day, I've got to two languages. <laughs> get rid of it, get it out your life. It doesn't mean sweep it under the carpet, like Glendon does, put it in a box, tape it shut, stick it somewhere else in your mind. It means throw it away. Get the poison as far from you as you can. Doesn't mean ignore it, explain it away. Just get the poison out your life. It's gonna poison your life. It's gonna put you in a prison if you're unforgiving. Colossians chapter three, Paul says this. He, he talks about how are we to live with each other? And he says we're to bear with each other. What Paul doesn't say is that some people need more grace to bear with than others. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that. I'm just talking from my own experience. Uh, but he says, yeah, bear with each other and forgive one another. Talking to Christians, forgive one another. He says, if you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow, this is another one of those steps. How do we forgive someone who's done the most horrendous wrongs? Well, we forgive as the Lord forgave us. And in our praying, in our pouring out our heart to God, we start to realize, jeepers, creepers, I'm not a saint. In my life, I've done horrendous things. I would be Highly embarrassed if I had to rattle off the list of my sins in front of you today. But God's forgiven me of them. How has God forgiven me? Unconditionally. Freely you've received this forgiveness. Freely, Matthew chapter 10 says, we are to forgive. God forgives us when we don't deserve it. 
I didn't earn my forgiveness. I didn't rack up points, level one forgiveness. Okay, God can forgive my swear words now. You do some more good things, level two, he can forgive my speeding fines. Do a bit more good things, God can forgive murder. No, we can't do enough. We can't do anything for God to forgive us of even one little sin. Why? Because it's Jesus' death on the cross. Him shedding his blood that washed away our sins. And when we put our faith in him, we receive his forgiveness because he was punished that we didn't need to be punished. That's the way that we forgive those who hurt us. Jesus never said, forgive and forget. Just forget about what they've done. Carry on in your brotherly love. He never said that, actually. God says, I'll forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west. But he never said forgive and forget. If someone's stolen money from you, it doesn't mean you have to trust them immediately with money. If someone's abused you, that doesn't mean you have to put yourself in that place of danger again. Trust is earned. It might take months or years for you to trust them enough with that particular thing. God says forgive, but he doesn't say forget. There might be a point where God says to you, maybe it's time to trust them again in that thing. And as you offer them trust, it's like the grace of God flows to them because they might have thought this person will never trust me in this area. And then suddenly you extend to them some trust and they're like, wow, the grace of God is coming into my life. I have another chance. Andy Stanley says this. He says, in the shadow of my hurt, Forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is a gift from one undeserving soul to another. Friends, we don't deserve God's forgiveness. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. So as we've been forgiven undeservedly, God says, I can empower you to forgive others, even if they don't deserve it. I wonder how many homes would find healing if mothers, fathers, children would just say, I forgive you. I don't hold it against you. I wonder how many marriages could be saved. Some people say that divorce, unfaithfulness, those are, those are grounds for divorce. Actually, those are better grounds for forgiveness. I wonder how many friendships this morning could find healing. How many of us could be free from this prison of unforgiveness? And actually all along we think we're holding them in prison by holding that stuff against them. Actually we're the ones imprisoning ourselves. We're the prisoner. And forgiveness helps us to get free. Jesus wasn't trying to be difficult and say impossible things. Forgive them as God forgave you. If you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. That sounds really harsh and really legalistic. But actually Jesus is saying, the way that you get free, the way that you can find healing is if you let it go. Give it to God. Hurl the poison away. And then you can be free. Don't hold it against them when God doesn't hold anything against you. Someone said, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong, makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak, 
it sets you free. Jesus never said, I'll forgive you, but you know, you don't have, don't worry about forgiving other people. He never said that. Sadly, it would be nice if he did, but he didn't say that. He didn't say, you can treat people however you want and, and you and God are going to be fine. He never said that. He said these words, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Friends, forgiveness empowers us to get out of jail, to get out of the the things that hold us back, that we're holding on to, we realize we're the prisoner. Can we stand as we end? I'd love to pray for us just in this area of forgiveness and unforgiveness. And when I pray, I'm going to ask God to search our hearts. Because sometimes, like me, you might 